0: This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 73.
1: You can ask for a mentor, but you must earn a sponsor. At the basic level, that is the answer. I have folks in the organization today who talk about wanting that person who can sort of be a guide, a sherpa to them as they go through their career. And I can pair them with a mentor. I can coach them on how to ask a mentor to be a mentor to them or a person to be a mentor to them but I cannot ask someone to be your sponsor.
0: Why can you ask for a mentor, but you must earn a sponsor? How do you create a culture where leaders invest in mentoring and sponsoring talent? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast. The only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders, who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future? During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field and, most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Carrie Perino. Carrie is the Chief People Officer at Verily, an Alphabet company, and as the head of People and Culture team, she and the team develop and drive the people strategy in support of the company's purpose bringing the promise of precision healthcare to everyone, every day. Prior to joining Verily, Carrie was VP People Operations at Google, where she led frontline HR and delivered world-class HR services to over 130,000 Google employees. Before joining Google, Carrie spent more than 20 years at American Express in the U.S. and U.K., where among other HR roles of increasing responsibility, she served as the Chief Diversity Officer, Chief Talent Officer, and Senior Vice President of Global Talent Management, And not only is Carrie a world-class HR executive, she's also a thought leader, and her writings have been featured in a variety of publications, including Diversity, Inc., Working Mother Magazine, and Diversity Executive. She's also a contributing author for an important Harvard Business Review research report called The Sponsor Effect, Breaking Through the Last Glass Ceiling. Carrie is not only a thought leader on sponsorship, but she is also deeply passionate about the role that sponsorship can play in driving culture and retaining top talent. And in my conversation with Carrie today, we're going to discuss the role sponsorship has played in her career, why she believes you can ask for a mentor, but you must earn a sponsor, what she learned from participating in the Sponsorship Effect research project, why sponsorship is one of the greatest retention levers that organizations have, and her advice on creating a culture where leaders invest in mentoring and sponsoring talent, and much more. Carrie, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Really excited to talk to you. You have had an amazing career and you've also got passion and research around how to be a sponsor and sponsorship. So I'm excited for this conversation. And looking at your early career, I was surprised to see that you spent the first nine years in internal communication roles before making the switch to HR. I think it's communication people, very important. However, I was just surprised. You're a CPO, but you started in communications. Tell us more about your expertise in communications and how that's helped your HR career. And why did you make the jump to be
1: an HR person? You are totally right. I started out in communications. In fact, my undergraduate and master's degrees are both in corporate communications. And if you had said to me all those years ago, Carrie, you'll be leading an HR function, I would have said, I don't think so. We joke, and you and I have talked about this, how A lot of people who work in communications don't even want to report up through HR. And here I am leading HR and hopefully changing minds about that because the connection between the work, especially internal communications, is huge. It's been really helpful to me, honestly, JP, when I think about my career history. In my earlier years, when I was wholly focused on communications, what I found is where I had the most passion was around helping people understand the complexities of the work around them. Whether that was the strategy of the business or changes that were happening across the business or even the complexities of their benefits plan. That was where I had the most energy. And I suppose it's not unusual that my HR colleagues noticed that. And more and more and more, I was invited in to do things related to people programming, learning and development, training efforts, and even just general change journeys very quickly became a pretty natural progression for me.
0: I will agree. I think when you've got a great communications person on your team, especially when you're rolling out anything internal, it just takes the game to the next level. Not only the creativity, but the polish. If you are in an HR and you're not pol- you're really working with your internal communications people, you're missing a big opportunity to make a bigger impact because you'll see things you just don't see.
1: I one hundred percent support that the connection between the two bodies of work is huge. One plays off of the other, and no good change effort happens without a focus on communications and and storytelling, helping people move through the journey.
0: really, what we do in h r is we're a lot of times we are marketing employee programs we're trying to make the workplace better we're trying to influence inform, inspire. And so communications is critical. So I also encourage HR leaders to work on your writing skills as well. You may not be as fast as your communications folks, but be a student of that and ask questions. How can I get better? How can my writing get better? I think it's critical. But Carrie, how did you make the leap or the jump to HR from communications? It's not a normal leap. And were you're sitting there writing, and they said, well, hey, we think you'd be a great HR business partner. How did you decide to do that because you really shifted careers pretty dramatically.
1: I can tell you this was not a conscious thought in the early days. I was just doing my work in communications, working alongside my HR colleagues. And as I was saying more and more, I got pulled into different bodies of work. And the practicality of it for me was I moved first into employee engagement and leadership and learning. There was a lot of translation of content in terms of what we were communicating and what we were actually doing to invest in leaders to invest in development. So it might have been one of the smarter, easier places for me to transfer those skills. But the real answer to your question, JP, is I had people who believed in me and my capabilities beyond what I was doing every day for them. They saw that for sure and recognized what they perceived to be good work and then made suggestions on what else I could consider doing. One conversation leads to the next and Literally before I knew it, I was fully within the HR organization.
0: I love that. It's such a great story. And since moving to HR, you've had a really impressive career, not only at American Express and now Google, holding a number of leadership roles. Can you tell us more about the role sponsorship has played in your career? Go a little bit deeper on what you just talked about there.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you called it sponsorship because that's what we all know it as today. There was a time Certainly when I was experiencing what I now know to be sponsorship, I didn't call it that. I didn't recognize it as that, but it is. And I think it has played a huge part in my own career. Having someone who believes in you and your capabilities and what you can do, sometimes before you do, is a multiplier effect. I would argue we all need these people in our lives, generally speaking, but certainly in our work lives as well. And I was very fortunate at American Express to have earned the advocacy and sponsorship of a senior woman in our HR organization. She held a high-level role. She knows who she is. I'll call her out. Thank you, Gammy Helio. She believed in me before I believed in me. She was the person who often brought opportunities to me, JP, that I wouldn't otherwise been looking at. Even that first move out of sure comms into... HR, and then into all of the other HR roles. I mentioned to you that I moved first into the area of employee engagement and learning and development leadership, which in HR speak is still a COE, a center of expertise, a community of expertise, and communications is that too. So it wasn't that different in terms of my day-to-day in the application. The big move for me was moving for the first time into an HR business partner role. And I resisted it. I look back on the conversations now and think, boy, Carrie, you really didn't take the hint. But my sponsor brought that opportunity to me several times. And the first two times I said, thank you so much, but no thank you. By the third time, it finally struck me that she's trying to tell me something. She's trying to get me to consider something that I wasn't otherwise thinking of. And if she didn't think I could do it, she wouldn't bring the opportunity to me. She wouldn't make that suggestion for me. When I finally said yes and took that leap, it was a game changer. One of the things I say to people all the time when I'm coaching men, it's a phrase she uses all the time, my sponsor I've referred to, is be open to those possibilities for sure and say yes. Say yes, even when you're not quite sure that's the right thing in that moment. If someone who's investing in you is suggesting it, they probably know more than you do in that moment.
0: Well, it's so true because sometimes the sponsors really do see us from a different perspective. They've been there, maybe they've sat in that seat. So they're like, hey, I see that potential you have. Carrie, I know you can do this based on what you've done before. And it sounds like what a great role they played in your career. I'm also curious, Carrie, from your perspective, there's a lot of talk about sponsorship, mentorship.
1: What's the difference between the two? Great question. And there's a clear answer. You can ask for a mentor, but you must earn a sponsor. At the basic level, that is the answer. I have folks in the organization today who talk about wanting that person who can sort of be a guide, a Sherpa to them as they go through their career. And I can pair them with a mentor. I can coach them on how to ask a mentor to be a mentor to them or a person to be a mentor to them. But I cannot ask someone to be your sponsor. You actually have to earn that. And that means they need to see your work. So visibility is hugely important as you are working to earn that advocacy that can blossom into sponsorship. It starts with the table stakes are certainly good work, right? You must be doing good work. And that's the first part of it. Then there's consistency over time, continuing to see you doing good work, showing up in meaningful ways, and then taking those opportunities, finding the stage where your your work can shine. And then sponsors will notice you. People will notice you. And they could start out as a mentor. But sponsorship is something they are freely giving you, not something you are asking for. It's a really important distinction because we hear a
0: lot about this. I want to be a find a mentor. I need to find a sponsor. So I love that you broke that down around the hard work that it really takes because a sponsor is making an investment in you. I think you said this once, that trust is at the heart of a sponsorship relationship.
1: So tell us more about why you feel that way. Because it is a relationship. And most relationships are founded on that notion of trust. It's a central element to it. And it's a two-way street, which you also assume in relationships, right? Oftentimes in a mentor-mentee relationship, the benefactor is very typically the mentee. Like sometimes for sure we as mentors get benefit from it, but we're there to help the mentee with whatever it is that they are aspiring to do or an area they're looking to grow in. But sponsorship, the beauty of it is that both benefit. Clearly, the person who is being sponsored, or sometimes called the protege, benefits because someone else is investing in them. Someone else is carrying their flag or speaking on their behalf in rooms when they are not present. So they know how this person does work. They'll recommend them for opportunities, etc. And in return, the sponsor is also benefiting because The person who's being sponsored is often an A player for the sponsor. They could be a key member of their team. They could be someone they call into active work on projects when needed. Someone who they're their go-to person, even if they're not on their team. And whenever they go to that person, it pays off because the work is good. They meet the deadlines and timelines. Other people are typically impressed with that body of work, etc. That's a lovely reflection on the sponsor. As well, And when you are being a good sponsor, I often tell folks, how do I know if I'm being a good sponsor? And I'll say, well, oftentimes the people you are sponsoring are a positive reflection on you. And people will say things like, you have a great eye for talent. Boy, you really do invest in some of the great people in this organization. Or I can see how much followership you have earned. Those are all accolades that go to the sponsor themselves. So... It is a two-way street, and there are benefits for both.
0: That's a great point. We always think about it from the taking side, right? I mean, a sponsor help my career go faster. But actually, if you're a sponsor and find great talent, that helps your brand as well. But I think that point, consistently delivering results, is something just to underline for the folks listening. That's what it really takes to have great sponsorship. Kerry, I know you also spent some time doing research around this and some groundbreaking research, actually called The Sponsor Effect, Breaking Through the Last Glass Ceiling. Can you tell us more about this important research and what it uncovered? I know this was a little while ago, 2010 to be exact, but I'd love to hear about what this research was about, and then we'll talk about maybe what's changed since the research took place.
1: It was a real privilege to work on that body of research. It absolutely put sponsorship on the map. I partnered with a company that was then called the Center for Talent Innovation and is now called COBOL, and it's a think tank on all things talent-related. And when we started the work, it was in one of those think tank brainstorming conversations where I was at American Express at the time, and what we were finding was in, for some of our senior talent, there was that break point where you either get that next job at the next level, or you leave the organization, trying to understand the difference. I was in the talent space at the time, trying to understand the difference between when one thing happened versus when the other thing happened, right? And we, of course, wanted the talent to stay was really very difficult. And if you just looked at the data, it looked like all things were equal. The one thing that we were able to find that was the difference between those who stayed and continued to progress and those who left the organization was that those who stayed had someone more senior than them in the organization who was essentially serving as their sponsor. We didn't know to call it that at that time before we did all of the research and worked with many organizations and thousands of people. But as and began to uncover all of that, it became much more apparent that sponsorship mattered. In fact, we learned it mattered perhaps more at the more senior levels because obviously each of our organizations have a hierarchy and The quote-unquote pyramid gets thinner at the top. It also mattered a lot for women and for people of color. The beauty of sponsorship, generally speaking, though, is that it matters to all talent. And it may be one of those great equalizers because people who earn advocacy and sponsorship in their organization tend to progress and advance at higher rates and with higher satisfaction. They feel better about their progression in their company and their engagement in their company when they have a sponsor versus when really they do not. So it was fascinating to actually look at that level of research and put this concept on the map in a way that it unlocks a lot of the work that we do across the townland landscape. Yeah, it really
0: was groundbreaking. And so for those that left, they didn't have a sponsor. And so they were now looking for a greener pastures, other reasons to leave. Whereas it sounds like if you had a sponsor, people said, well, I know I've got a career path here. People care about me here. They're looking out for me. Like, I feel like I can grow, maybe fail, take some chances. But if you don't have that sponsor, especially when you go to the higher levels, you start to say, well, maybe I should take the
1: phone call from the recruiter. Is that kind of what you learned? Absolutely. I talked to leaders today about sponsorship being one of the greatest retention measures we have. People always talk about monetary retention efforts and developmental retention efforts, and those are good. We need those. We need a variety of things. But one of the greatest stickiness factors, if we can call it that, is when you believe you have sponsorship and advocacy in the organization, someone who is making sure that during talent conversations, as an example, that you get discussed, someone who's looking out for what you're doing today and what your next move might be. And for those people who had it, it was much more about, I trust that if I stay here and continue to do good work, my sponsor is going to help me get what that next move is. Or my sponsor tossed my hat into the ring and I actually got the next job so I don't need to leave. Like it was that practical an application. And for those who were leaving, they felt like even though they were qualified, And even though we as a company were investing in them and companies all over the world, same scenario, investing in top talent. If they didn't feel like they had that stickiness factor of a sponsor looking out for them, they were more likely to go for the advocacy outside of the organization, take the recruiter call and talk to people at another company who were expressing that over interest in them.
0: Really helpful to understand that context, Carrie. And going back to the fact of you found that more impact for women and, and minorities wanting to have that sponsorship, that maybe it was more impactful. Thinking about sponsorship in an organization, is it harder for women and minorities to find that sponsorship? Did you find that as well, that it was impactful, but maybe they weren't getting the sponsorship that they deserved? How did that play out in the research at all?
1: Two things, more important for women and people of color and more impactful When they had it. So, higher satisfaction levels, for example, when they said they had a sponsor, happier with their rate of progression, satisfied with their engagement at work. Is it harder for them to earn sponsorship? I think the honest answer is yes, because most relationships, most human relationships, are based on sameness. And you've got to find that sameness in your workplace, even if the person you want or need to earn sponsorship from doesn't look like you. From that perspective, yes, it is harder. And I say that to talent in the organization all the time. And you still need it. So be intentional about earning sponsorship.
0: It's an important point that I want to come back to. We're going to talk a little bit at the end around how do we foster leaders that can sponsor and are more apt and good at doing that because we don't have typically parity of genders, at the executive roles, right? So we, we need to think about this. It's really important for our field. What else has changed about sponsorship since the sponsor effect was published? Has there been an update
1: or other research that you guys have done since? A lot has changed, and I start with we are talking about it. <laughs> all those years ago, we were not talking about it, and if you had googled sponsorship, you'd have gotten things coming up in in your feed around mainly product. Now, if you google sponsorship, you will absolutely find. Lots of articles and stories and extensions of this work. Many research organizations have taken this groundbreaking research and used it in other ways. COCOL itself uses it as a basis, like a checkpoint and pivot point in a lot of the research it does now. So knowing that even if you're looking at a particular portion of the population or gender or ethnicity or place in the world there is an intersection with where sponsorship can actually become a differentiator in someone's personal career progression. So we've learned to pay attention to it in new and meaningful ways. We've also learned to, I'm going to say, train around it. Like you mentioned, it's important to help people understand what it means to be a good sponsor. And I completely agree. In fact, there was a time in my career when we were not just doing educational and awareness sessions on what it means to earn sponsorship, we were doing the same at the senior levels on what it actually means to be a sponsor and why it's important for you to actually be sponsoring talent in the organization. And we made it for our senior leaders in terms of their investment in talent, we made it one of the priority to-dos. So many times leaders will come to me and say, well, what can I do? How can I help? How do I lean in? And sponsorship is one of the best answers to that question because it means you are investing in the talent pipeline in our organization.
0: Yeah, it's so important that we do that. And maybe talk a little bit more about how do you foster a culture where leaders want to mentor and sponsor talent? Because to create an organization where all leaders are being held accountable for how they're developing talent, who are they're sponsoring, those kind of questions don't come up maybe, but once you're in talent review, when you say, well, how's that person doing? So is there tips and tricks or really practices and Processes you should put in place to really foster an organization that's got sponsorship at the core.
1: So many things I want to tell you. First, you don't have to be an individual's leader to become their sponsor. And what I often say to talent in the organization is you may not earn advocacy and sponsorship from your leader, and that's okay. They still need to be a good leader to you, and you still need to deliver on your objectives, but you may not end up in a sponsorship relationship with your leader. And as a leader in the organization, you can look at your direct reports or even your skip level as people you might want to invest in and people you might be willing to give your sponsorship to, assuming they earn it. But you can't be a sponsor, for example, to all of your direct reports. That actually wanders down the effectiveness of your sponsorship. If you declare sponsorship of everyone who reports to you, that's not the equation. The equation is. Both should be selective. Talent should be intentional and selective about who they want to earn sponsorship from. And leaders should be intentional on where in the organization they want to place those markers and invest deliberately and garner their own followership, which I think is really critical for people to be perceived as a great leader with great followership. And to your point, increase their own brand in the organization. That is one of the most important things. As a former chief talent officer, I can tell you that sponsorship actually shows up in those talent reviews, whether you intend it or not. I could literally, my team and I used to joke about this, we could literally sit during a talent conversation and we could map the sponsorship relationships without anyone ever saying, I'm sponsoring so-and-so or anyone inferring that so-and-so is sponsoring someone else. Because of the way they talked about the talent, that level of advocacy. So even if you are at the earlier stages of seeing the importance of sponsorship, I would tell you, I would tell all talent leaders, I would tell all HR leaders, activate the concepts, if not the word, as one of your tactics to doing good talent management in your organization, because it is essentially about how leaders invest in people,
0: I think that's so true. And you can really tell a lot about a leader and how they handle the talent review, how they talk about their teams, who they're really sponsoring, who they're advocating for, how crisp they are in terms of assessing that talent. So I I agree with you full stop. I was going to ask you a question around what advice you have for next gen leaders who are hoping to find sponsors, but I want to flip it a little bit because we already talked about, you can't really find a sponsor. They kind of find you, but when looking for mentors, Do you have approaches to building different mentoring relationships and and what someone who's young in their career should be trying to do to
1: build that that relationship that maybe someday might blossom to be a sponsorship? I do. And that's exactly how you should think about it. I always say, if you don't have a mentor right now, go get one. Because it's one of the clear pathways to sponsorship. It starts very often as a mentorship relationship. I am pretty pedantic about how I look at mentoring. Relationships. And so here's what I would tell you be intentional. Find a mentor, select a mentor in the part of the organization where you have something to learn or something to gain. You're in this part of the organization, you want to go work in that part of the organization. Well, then you should ask for a mentor in that part of the organization. You are pretty good at public speaking, but you have only spoken in small forums. But when you see That senior female on stage, you think she does a great job and you'd love her to be your mentor because she's got a skill set that you're trying to develop. So you get my point, find a reason. And then when you make your ask, be specific in making your ask as well. Tell her, I saw you speak at XYZ. I was blown away by how you did this and how you did that. I could see you had the audience with you. I feel pretty good about how I do that in smaller groups, but I really want to get better on a broader stage. I'm looking for a mentor. I'm wondering if you would consider being a mentor of mine. I'm thinking maybe we could do that for the next, qualify it, three, six, nine, twelve 12 months. Say how long you are asking for this and say something like, if it works for you, we could have lunch once a month or we could meet for coffee once a month. Like Be specific about the commitment you're actually asking of that potential mentor. They are so much more likely to say yes to you if they understand what you're asking as opposed to this open-ended, I'm looking for a mentor, would you be mine?
0: Sounds like a valentine. But I think what you said there, I think is so important is that what I heard is be intentional, be specific, but have an end in mind that makes it easy for someone to say yes. And I think even when we think about people's careers, I always give that advice and people come to you, well, I'm not sure... I want to grow, but I'm not sure what I want to do. We can't really help you in HR unless you have a goal. So you've got to come with, I want to get better in this area. I've seen you do it. Brilliant advice, Carrie. So I think that's really well well said. My last question for you, Carrie, is what is one word or phrase you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years?
1: I think the answer to this question is ways of working. I think that is the next Chapter for all of us. It is somewhat undefined. We've all been grappling with it. And I do think that the global pandemic forced us to look at things differently, which was a good thing. And now we're all trying to figure out well, what does that actually mean? Remember when I said sponsorship may be a great equalizer in the workplace? I think that ways of working might be that next thing. We have been working in what I will call a very traditional style for a long time now. And we've made tweaks. We introduced words like hybrid and remote working and coming into different offices and having collaboration space. And those were all good. I'm not downplaying them. They're good and they are progress. But we have not transformed the way we work yet. And it is ripe for that
0: totally agree ways of working that's where the future of hr is going carrie thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on sponsorship truly an impactful episode thank you so much for listening to this episode of future of hr podcast thanks again to carrie for sharing her insights on sponsorship and why it matters and her practical tips on how to find a mentor As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. If you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe, share our podcast with at least one other person, or even better, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with the one and only Bob Sutton. Bob's an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of eight books, including The No-Asshole Rule, The Knowing-Doing Gap, and Scaling Up Excellence. Bob has been on Stanford faculty since 1983, and he served as the professor of management science and engineering through 2023. He is now a professor emeritus at Stanford. In my conversation with Bob, we're going to talk to him about his latest book, The Friction Project, which he co-wrote with Huggy Rao. The Friction Project unpacks insights from their seven-year learning adventure where Sutton and Rao used academic research, case studies, classes and workshops and ongoing dialogues with scholars, executives and innovators to learn how smart organizations make the right things easier and the wrong things harder and how to do that without driving employees and customers crazy. This was a great conversation with one of the brightest minds in our field. You won't want to miss this one. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.